Hello, everyone. Welcome to the PPC Show brought to you by AdStage. I am Paul Wicker. And I'm Josh Rodriguez. Today is November 16th, and these are your top six PPC headlines from the week. And the first up is a new tab in Bing, so a new competition tab that Bing just snuck in there. Yeah, this is actually a pretty cool uh, release by Bing. And I got a chance to you know check out their article about it and watch their video. And uh, they are now showing you a lot of insights from your direct competition. So they have this whole auction insights tab that you can click on and start seeing all your different metrics. Your metrics plotted right next to all your competition metrics. So if you're looking at impression shares or you can look at your average position or figure out all your cost metrics, uh, it's pretty cool to actually see that and, and give you a snapshot really quickly of where you, where you sit you know, against your competition. I always think it's like somewhat manipulative <laughs> that they do these things because you know, especially smaller advertisers, well, I guess a lot of marketers are just obsessed with measuring themselves against their competition. I remember in the old days, like getting a customer in first position was often like all they cared about in like Google or Bing mm -hmm. search. And you try to explain like, well, first position might not be the most efficient use of your spend or, but man, if you had a small business like lawyer or auto dealer and they saw their competitor in a higher position, that's like all they cared about. And I feel like Bing and Google now with things like impression share and lost impression share are, and now this uh, insights or yeah, insights tab, which like just shows you straight up, here's you versus your competitors and like their insights are like pointing out how you're losing to your competitors. They're really just kind of poking you to, to start kind of taking action because you're quote unquote losing to the competition. Yeah. And they even show you your spend too. They can show you your spend versus your competitor spend. So yeah, I agree. I think they're just going to drive some intense competition and it's going to, you know, end up and result in more spend by everybody, right? Everybody's just going to be driving more money into this. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what they're certainly going to hope for. <laughs> that's yeah. probably the plan. Yeah, in the there's two tabs. There's the insights tab you covered and then a recommendations tab, which is the same old things we're used to with, you know, hey, if you spend X percent more or raise bids by X percent, you can get this many more clicks. But now they kind of phrase it with, you know, uh, adjust your bids on these 12 keywords and you could show your ads uh, more competitively than your competition. Like, so they're really taking this competitive angle and, and really pushing it. And I feel like you, you used to be able to pay for all these third-party scraper tools to do all this stuff. So maybe people are doing it before, so it takes a, little, uh, takes a little burden off marketers to go buy a competitive research tool now if it's right in the UI. Yeah, that's true. Take some money away from those tools and just pump it back into your Bing ads. And speaking of new UI, LinkedIn actually has some news. They changed uh, pages. Com well, used to be called company pages, and now it looks like they have a brand new... Uh, redesign and more features on their pages. What's up there? Yeah, so as you said, LinkedIn is now calling it pages. So new branding, new design. They include content suggestions. So similar to what we would find with Buffer, Hootsuite, HubSpot, where there's a tab now where you can click on content suggestions for your page and you can quickly just start adding content. So making it really easy for that content manager to, to manage the page. You know, you can share all the content that you normally would share you know, PDFs, presentations, docs on pages. And then a pretty cool thing that I saw is you can actually share, reshare your employees' posts. So if you have employees out there who are sharing some pretty insightful content, uh, why not just crowdsource that from your own org and, and share that on your page? And yeah, they have a few more features that stood out. So of course, they're in, they have hashtags. 
So hashtags are big and they will always be big to categorize different content. And then also they have crunch base data on pages as well. So if you don't know what Crunchbase is, it's the you know, funding information about startups. And I checked our own ad stage page and we are in fact, now you have to go to the about section. And if you go to the about section, you'll see all our funding information. So check that out. Uh, so this is a, a nice update to pages, you know, clearly trying to make LinkedIn more and more of a content destination. So this was very focused on content. They also announced that like, who's, like some metrics about uh, engagement and content would now be available in their API. And I think it was Hootsuite has already kind of built that into their, their monitoring tool. So really pushing content. And, you know, I, this came up on, on Quora. There is a Quora marketing space that JD and I set up. Well, JD set up and I hop into, and we talk about this type of things. And, and actually there's a few opinions on the new pages. Um, and the point I was making was, you know, these content recommendations are pretty good. You know, you enter some topics that you think your audience cares about, or they tell you, hey, this is what your audience is reading about, and then you can post about it. But most folks kind of go to LinkedIn last. You know, they're spending their time creating content for Facebook, then maybe Twitter. Uh, and of course, I guess if you're very B2B, maybe you're doing LinkedIn first. But in most cases, the content marketers I know are like, hey, we've come up with these content ideas or they're already using like Buffer or HubSpot to come up with content ideas and they just schedule it on LinkedIn. Right. So I'd be curious to see how many content marketers really are going to spend time in LinkedIn doing content like just for LinkedIn, unless, you know, especially if you're outside of the demographic that does really well on LinkedIn, like education and software, stuff like that. But yeah, never hurts, never hurts to update uh, your old product. That's right. Uh, you don't want your page, you don't want your page to get out of date. So. Yeah, if you haven't been there in a while, in fact, when I was on our page checking it out, we need to do some updates now because you can kind of put more information on your page as a, as a page owner. So if you own a page or if you have a content marketer who's supposed to keep it updated, go let them know it's time to do some updates before you run paid back to it. So moving along, uh, we'll move over to Snapchat, our friends at Snapchat that we like to pick on. So they launched uh, lenses a long time ago. So you could do custom lenses, which is what they basically have named these AR filters you can put on top of, you know, your Snapchat videos and photos, like the core feature of Snapchat. So those are lenses and you can create a custom lens if you're a business. And they used to be 500,000 bucks aimed at big brands, you know, like Pepsi and they did a bunch of stuff with like yeah, major brands. But now I hear you can, you can run one for 50 bucks. $50. I put in the notes 50K, but it really is just 50 bucks. <laughs> yeah, it's $50. So very low entry point to get into some new AR lenses and filters. Uh, yeah, so it's, it seems like they're opening it up. So uh, they want some more ad revenue and, and it looks like they're really putting all their, their bets on AR, AR lenses. So we'll yeah. see where that goes. Uh, you know, Quoted here, an executive at a global agency said his clients have, for the most part, stopped investing a significant amount of ad dollars in Snapchat, opting for Instagram instead. So maybe, you know, Snap is starting to see that, like the big money moving away, so they have to open it up. Maybe they're just forced to do this, right? So. Yeah, it's, it's a good play down market, obviously. Um, so 50 bucks is much more attractive to smaller advertisers, although you still need to build these AR lenses which are not cheap to build. So there's agencies that quote around five to $10,000 to build a filter. So 
if you need five grand to get into the game, you're probably not going to spend 50 bucks promoting it. <laughs> you probably yeah. still want to have a budget of, I don't know, I'd guess 10 to 20 grand minimum to consider doing a lens. Uh, and the big brands can still buy these like half a million dollar lenses and just apply them globally. If you buy them for, you know, 50 bucks or, you know, a lower level, you're not getting obviously a lens in the entire user base. It's probably geo-targeted or, you know, you're limited you're targeting quite a bit, but yeah, it, who knows um, if this will help Snapchat, you know, this uh, exact kind of mention, yeah, it doesn't really matter. We're going over to Instagram. Uh, <laughs> uh, one other point I just wanted to bring up because it was mentioned in there too, is that big brands are a little bit afraid of Snapchat because it takes your brand, puts it into a lens and then people can do anything obviously mm-hmm. with this AR lens. So right. you start, you know, people are creeps and do all kinds of terrible things. So if you give them your brand, as a crown or, you know, then they'd take some horrible photos and put them on, on the web. And next thing you know, like you have all these brand quality, uh, brand safety issues. So big brands are also a little tentative to just turn this into something that's that easy to do. So right. another challenge for AR ads, but like, like this exec at a global agency, uh, moving money in Instagram, I think a lot of people are doing that. And it looks like Instagram has been up to quite a bit unveiling some new features. Yeah, so again, with Instagram stories, uh, they now allow you, and I think also in the feed, not just stories, but they have some new shopping features. So you can now save a shopping collection. So they have this whole new idea of actually saving products to your own shopping collection. So you know how you had collections where you can just save you know, photos that you liked or stories that you liked into your own collections. Now they have one specific just for products you can buy. So now that you have this shopping icon in the, a video that opens up and it opens products at the bottom of your, of your screen and you have a, a whole shop tab now in business profiles. So now you can collect all those cool things you want to buy at a later date. Yeah, I've, I've been buying stuff on Instagram. I mean, not a lot, but I think I like bought a pair of jeans from yeah. I don't know, somebody in uh, Detroit making jeans locally. What's the name yeah. of them? I should give them a plug. Uh, but the, you know, the new feature of having the little shopping tag, you know, kind of floating around Mm -hmm. so people can click on it and see product info. It is now in videos too. uh, And really just building in this like pretty robust shopping experience from Instagram. Uh, And we'll talk about the Luma. So Luma put out their new digital marketing 2018 or state of digital marketing, whatever it's called. Um, And they talk a lot about these types of features as being some of the things that are really driving like B2C brands and direct to consumer marketing and really helping these small brands we never heard of like purple mattress and Warby Parker. And uh, who's the, the guys that do the razor kits. Uh, well, there's Harry's Dollar, and Shave, Club. Dollar yeah. Shave Club. Yeah. They're just like destroying the legacy brands because of features like this, that they're just hopping all over, hopping all over. Uh, yeah. And I, I like it. I think Instagram's doing it the right way too. They're not taken away from the experience so you can still enjoy, you know, the content but you, you have that option then to shop. And I always, I do buy products I see on Instagram, but I always feel guilty clicking on the ads because I know I'm spending their money. So I just usually just will go and Google the products afterwards after I see it on Instagram and buy it through other means. Wow, the benevolent <laughs> consumer over here. Uh, yeah. I think they'd be happy if you purchased, and especially the marketers, because now they're not getting a, uh, attribution to the money. That's true. And, I know, I'm, take, I'm taking away from their conversion rates and right. I'm in trouble for them. So maybe it's I'll like, start clicking on more. 
If I'm going to click on an email from a marketer, I will first let the, it display the image so that the marketer can have their little pixel fire and know that I opened the email before I click to their website. I'm, there you go. I'm giving yeah, them that. I'm just, I'm just testing that complicated attribution model that everybody has, right? Right. <laughs> going in and out of incognito windows on your phone, not on your phone, log out of Google, you know. Uh, and then I think there's another Instagram update, right? They pushed something else new out. They did. So yeah, again, from Instagram story. So now they're driving more app downloads. So now it's possible for when you're in stories, you can actually install mobile apps directly from there. So it's something interesting. I haven't actually personally seen this yet, so I'm not quite sure how it's working, but uh, I think it's a good move and it's going to really drive some more engagement in apps. Yeah, the article in DigiDay was really bullish on stories as a format, uh, specifically in this case for mobile app installs, which is a newish uh, capability. Uh, but then I was also in that Quora uh, marketing space talking about this with some, some marketers. And Corey Hanke, who is at Variable Media, who does a lot of YouTube and Facebook, um, he was also saying, independently of the story, you know, we were talking about what are some of the big trends in Q3 that you think uh, you know, move the needle for marketing. And he was like stories. He's like, mm -hmm. and he has this um, conspiracy theory that Facebook just really wants to put Snapchat out of business. So they're like keeping costs way lower than they should be for story traffic. Um, so he's seeing, I think he said, let's see, uh, it's been a gold mine, CPMs averaging below $3 and CPCs never higher than 27 cents. So he gets reached, you know, three to eight X of what he's getting in the Facebook or Instagram feed. So even if conversion rate isn't as high, it's high enough that he's still getting way more conversions from stories than he is from newsfeed. And the, the DigiDay article basically says the same thing, that a few of these advertisers are just seeing incredible results in stories. And they make the point that they're not creating new budget to get story ads rolling. They're just taking budget out of probably newsfeed news so from yeah. Facebook's perspective. I don't know how, how great it is. Although, um, you know, if you're just moving money from a to B, uh, but at least it's not moving it from a to Snapchat, which is what right. they were concerned about. Yeah. And that's, that's great to see. I think, you know, at 27 cents per click, I think there's no reason not to just start putting a lot of money into it and see what you can do with it. Uh, so. Right. Yeah. I always get nervous about throwing out CPCs because, you know, one person's 27 cent click is a gold mine and another person that's like, oh no, I need, you know, two cent clicks because I run some weird content site and I <laughs> resell clicks or something. But right. at 27 cents is cheap, especially for, um, you know, like a premier publisher like Instagram. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And again, this actually leads us into our final topic, which is Luma and that state of digital marketing. If you haven't read it, we have the link. You have to you know, fill out the form to get, get the report, but it's well worth it. Um, you know, this comes out, I think maybe twice a year, but it's, it's always excellent. It's like a hundred slides and a lot of it is about, what was that? I said, it's huge. It's a long, it's a long presentation and yeah, well worth the download. Right. Yeah. To be honest, there's like 20 slides that I didn't get to, but, um, there's like two main themes in it. And one is very, you know, Luma does investments and they invest in companies and, um, and they do, uh, well, they do whatever they do. So a lot of it is about what they see in trends and in, in investments, who's fundraising, exits, IPOs, acquisitions. So the first half is really about like investing in marketing tech versus ad tech and some of the successful and not successful exits. 
So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, that's, you know, fun to read. And, you know, we are, so that was, you know, interesting. Uh, and the TLDR is basically marketing tech is performing super well. Ad tech is not performing well. Uh, and you can measure the number of exits and the valuations and some of the IPOs. And you can see that really marketing tech has been uh, quite a success story. And, you know, you can read all about why uh, the Luma folks thinks that's the case around who's available to buy those technologies and yeah. other reasons. But um, yeah, and that's, and that's an interesting section. I wouldn't gloss over it, you know, completely and just dig in a little bit. Um, I did want to say one thing and it was kind of eye opening for me personally is a lot of the original internet companies, you know, Google and Microsoft and, and AOL, they, they haven't really done much for acquisition in the past few years and all that, you know, new acquisition and investments been coming from the, the big marketing clouds that we see like the Salesforce and Adobe and, and Oracle. And that was kind of interesting for me to, to read up on too. So. Yeah. If you open the slides on slide 25 is really, I think the one you're talking about where they show yeah. you how many acquisitions by segment for ad tech versus MarTech. And really you do see that what they call the internet originals and the social networks have really slowed down since 2015. So 2015 to yeah. present, there's like two or three acquisitions versus Oracle, Salesforce, SAP, Adobe. I mean, they're buying tons of companies and the telcos. So, um, you know, AT&T, Verizon. Verizon's huge, yeah. They're buying, you know, Comcast, they're buying up a ton of companies. And then lastly, you have private equity, which are just, you know, people that have money that invest in companies to usually flip them. With one of the big examples was Adobe, uh, their acquisition of um, who is the email marketing Marketo, um, mm -hmm. where like private equity came in and bought Marketo like three years ago or something like that. And everybody said, Oh my God, they overpaid because they bought them at like seven X. And now a few years later, they sold them to Adobe for like 20 X. And um, these numbers are approximate, but basically they made quite a bit of money in a very short amount of time by yeah. buying and then selling. And it, it looks like, private equity has been very active in terms of the past four years. So yeah. good so point. That's good news. Yep. Good news. It's not, you know, the market good news for us as a good news, <laughs> not slowing down, you know, there's a marketing a tech as a marketing yeah. tech company. That's good news for us. We will not be called ad tech anymore. We will never be called marketing tech. That's right. Um, all right. So let's but, talk about the other half. Yeah. The other half of it, direct to consumer advertising. And this, you know, this plays into a few of the stories we talked about. So if you're the type of marketer that actually listens to this podcast, you stay up to date on all the new features coming out from Instagram, from Google, from Twitter, and you're applying those. And, you know, like the example we just gave of the folks using Instagram stories, maybe these new uh, shopping features that just rolled out with shopping tabs uh, in business profiles, you're probably outperforming the incumbents that you compete with in your marketing substantially. And the second half of this report really gives a lot of examples of companies that have launched in the market and in what feels like no time have become very large uh, competitors. And in many cases then sell, you know, back to, uh, or they sell to one of the legacy competitors because they know they need to figure some of the stuff out and the fastest way for them to figure it out is just buy a company doing it. And there's been a few uh, examples of that and they, they get into them in the report. Uh... Yeah, I can't think of any. <laughs> I, well, I'm looking for the slide because I don't did um, one. I know for sure there's a sous vide company. If you, you know, sous vide is like that very fad cooking thing where you like boil stuff in a bag, and cook cook it by boiling it in a bag. Anyway, 
it's like some French thing. And there's a sous vide cooker, which was came out of nowhere, marketed really well, became like the number one sous vide cooker by a company called Anova Culinary. Uh, they happen to be an ad stage client, you know, used this to do all kinds of wacky Facebook optimization that was just way beyond what like your average kind of marketer was doing, very sophisticated. And then they got bought by Electrolux because Electrolux was like, we need, we need to know how to do this stuff. Um, and then there's a bunch of examples. I don't know which ones got acquired, but like movement watches came out of nowhere. All birds in the shoe space, you know, Casper yeah. or purple mattress compared to Sealy dollar shave club compared to Gillette. Like these keep, yeah, keep happening. Um, Un untuck it, you know, the t-shirt brand or the not t-shirt, but dress shirt, like where you don't have to tuck it in. There's a huge one. And I, I see those ads all the time as well. And the other part I found interesting about it was, you know, Luma is saying, hey, we've seen this before. In the gaming industry, you used to have Nintendo and Sega and PlayStation, and then suddenly all these gaming companies sprung up and just took over the industry. And then more recently, we saw it with apps where, you know, we were used to buying like software from Microsoft and, you know, big business applications. And now there's, you know, Apple basically invented the app marketplace, but it's now super common that there's an app for whatever you need. And it's not usually from one giant companies not like oracle makes all the apps you use everyone is its own little kind of uh, startup and they have crushed many of the legacy businesses yeah absolutely yeah if you just look at your home screen on your phone you're gonna see probably you know a dozen different brands that you interact with direct directly right so you're no longer going to like you said one big company you have all these individual companies that you purchase from you know probably more than once a week so and this, this trend that happened with gaming and then apps is now happening in what they're calling direct-to-consumer, which is really kind of like e-commerce, the modern you know, B2C e-commerce trend where you just sell directly to the consumer. And you know, there's a bunch of reasons why they think this is the case. And in fact, if you're following along on slide 48, they have um, kind of seven traits of these new D, uh, D2C brands that are springing up. And you know some of them, the big brands can't copy. So they get into a little bit of how are these big brands gonna compete? You know, number one on their list is that these companies that are springing up are digital natives that have grown up with this technology. So when there's a new story feature, it doesn't take a long time for them to grasp it and just run with it versus maybe a legacy company that uh, you know the people at the top have no idea what a lot of this technology is. And they even talk about the demographic of the people and the talent where at you know, your legacy business, you have a CMO making 700K doing kind of what they've been doing for a long time with a liberal, liberal arts background versus at a D2C brand, you have you know, someone younger who might still be making quite a bit of money and a lot of it is probably in a bonus structure based on performance and they probably have equity in the company. So it's a very different just mindset for the kind of the younger CMO and they often say they're not even called CMOs, they're like heads of growth rather yeah. than marketing arrows like the chief revenue officer right they're they're really like you said they're really tied to the metrics yeah it's a it's a great time to be a marketer and if you are at a, one of these small d uh, to c brands then you probably have another year or two where you could really be successful make money and have a quick exit because you have all these legacy companies that need to figure out what you know so good luck i hope that becomes your story <laughs> in the next <laughs> absolutely those are all the stories we have this week. Uh, we got a little dense there with the Luma 
whatever it is, article, Luma presentation. But hopefully you found it interesting. If you want more stories, you could always head over to blog.adstage.io, sign up for a newsletter and get these in your inbox. We're playing around with the cadence. We send it on Thursdays. We think we're going to send it on Mondays. So if you're already getting it and you're getting it now on a Monday, please open it and read it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, have a great week.